It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is a two-time published author, accomplished within the last two years. She has been on this podcast before during season four, episode 59. At that time, she shared a part of her journey as an adoptee that she wrote about in her memoir, The Gathering Place, an adoptee story. Her name is Emma Stevens. I'm happy to have her return to chat this time with me about her book, A Fire is Coming, published in 2022. In this episode, she shares a story of fires during a time in her life that caused her to hit rock bottom. It was hard to put her book down as she took me on a ride from the very beginning with a horrific fire in California, meeting a destructive next-door neighbor, slash therapist, and the fight for her life toward emotional well-being. Emma tells us some of the red flags from her lived experience on the subject of professional therapy and the ways to be proactive when choosing a competent therapist. She accepted my invitation to read a section of her book that gives a glimpse of what she was up against during a painful period in her life. In the first paragraph of the introduction to A Fire is Coming, Emma writes, Sometimes the things we fear most often turn out to be not that scary, and things we think are benign can bring us to our knees. This is my story of how something that was supposed to be an altruistic and loving plan for my life known as relinquishment and adoption, instead set up a series of traumatic events that would launch me on multiple journeys of recovery. Allow me to introduce you to someone whose words I love to read because she's a brilliant storyteller. In both of her books, she is vulnerable and accepts the enormous challenge of revealing deeply personal parts of herself. Emma, I am so happy to have you come back and be a guest. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jennifer. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be back. You were here, um, I think it was season four, yeah, episode 59. And I have to tell you, when I got off of the recording with you, well, actually, after we got off the phone, but after I thought about, reflected on the recording and saw it was like, I don't know, less than, it was 30 minutes or right around that. And I was like, there's so much I didn't ask her. And and so for you to come back, I'm, I hope that's not how I feel. I want to feel like we spent enough time and, and that you have the opportunity to share, you know, more than you did that time. And that was all on me because... I can ask you things and you can share things 
upon my guide. So I'm going to do better this time. I promise. (laughs) I don't think I took it that way at all. So I think you're the most gracious host out there. Well, thank you. I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. And when you were on before, you had published The Gathering Place, and, and I was fortunate enough to read it before we got together, which is really important to me. It doesn't happen all the time, but I feel like I'm more prepared for the time with you. And so that's the same way this time. And by the way, The Gathering Place, I love it. I highly recommend it. The exact title, The Gathering Place, an adoptee story. I just so enjoyed it. And so this time, this latest book, A Fire is Coming, I was able to get it again and mm-hmm. finish it before before now. And like I said before, I put I read about four or five books at any given time, I've got those many books I'm reading. And again, I put the books down to read this one. And it had me feeling like this is just horrific. And and I'm just going to read the review I left for you on Amazon. Oh, please do. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Thank you. Say Emma bears her soul in this book with a painful part of her journey. It is a page turner that had me feeling deeply sad about a therapist being malevolent to someone, to Emma, who needed and wanted professional help. It is purposeful and meaningful for Emma to have shared her lived experience so all of us can be aware of what evil looks like when we least expect it. I can appreciate her succinct and precise writing style. I could picture myself in the room with her as a witness to the red flags and destructive activities on the part of her therapist. I highly recommend this book to anyone who does not want to be naive to the possibilities that exist in the world. And I am wiser going forward because of Emma's courage to share what happened to her. So when you decided to write this book, what what did you have to, what was your process? What did you have to do? Clearly go back to a very dark place. Yes. And, and when I was writing The Gathering Place, I did include just a little bit of this, what happened. And once I got done writing that book and had it published, it, it occurred to me later that I wasn't finished yet and that I needed to get that story out of me too. And that wasn't completely apparent to me when I was writing the first book. And then it just hit me that I've got another book to write. So I got busy with writing the second book. And to do that, I had to excuse the phrase. I had to get in the mood by listening to music I was listening to at the time, looking at photographs, looking at anything that reminded me vividly, more vividly, to remember that time 29 years ago. And it involves a fire, a very real fire. And then it's symbolic of how my psychologist becomes another fire that tries to consume me. By the end of the book, I like to think of myself becoming the fire, taking my power back. I had to immerse myself in my memories, which was not pleasant, but at the same time, very therapeutic to put my feelings and memories into language. And I think that's what writing does for a lot of us. You put it down on paper and it's just a little bit more cathartic of getting it out of your body. Yes, I'm glad you shared that. I know when I was writing my memoir, I did. I listened to a lot of music during that time. 
just kind of bringing up memories through the music of mm-hmm. whatever era, you know, when I was in the 70s, when I was preteen, and then just so forth, you know, just what music was I listening to to kind of bring me to those times in my life. I like you saying that the three things, the fire represented three things. I clearly understood the fire at the beginning that was happening in California near you, Mm -hmm. um, which sounded devastating. It sounded like just a very scary, yeah, scary time. And then I also identified the therapist being fire too. I hadn't really connected. I'm glad you said that. I hadn't connected Mm -hmm. that you being the fire, but yeah, I get it now. Yeah, I, I absolutely you were. Well, and it's quite apparent in the book where I don't recognize her being the fire either. The very opposite. I looked at her as my salvation, my liberation, my healing, because that's what she wanted me to believe. But only to be a chilling moment where I realize she's trying to consume me, my very goodness. She's trying to consume me and burn me in her fire. Just the idea that you, you're going to a therapist, and I'm thinking as, a, as an adoptee, in need of a lot of like good professional help. And so now you, you find yourself entangled with someone who, I mean, we can't even get to her being an adoptee competent or adoption competent. We can't even get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. But, but um, someone that takes you backwards, like, how would you describe how far back she took you? Because, you know, we've talked when you were mm-hmm. on here before about alcoholism being your rock mm-hmm. bottom. Mm-hmm. Would you say this took you to a rock bottom, too? Oh, definitely. And even the alcoholism came years later. Uh, but I feel that what, ha- what she put me through, the hell, absolutely contributed to me becoming an alcoholic. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, that's... Um, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say it's just heartbreaking, you know, because as I talk with adoptees and certainly my own experience, we've got enough on our plate. Like, we've got enough mm-hmm. for there not to ever be a need for something else to be piled on, something so heavy to be piled on. And I have gotten to know you in, to a degree where I see you being so strong and resilient and there's, I don't think there's any way to do that without doing, as we all usually refer to as the work, or, or definitely using tools that will enable us to get better. And, you know, I'm just so proud of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> and you did these two books like in two years, right? Yes, it, it may seem fast to other people, but truly, I've been carrying this around for most of my life. And once it started flowing out of me, I really couldn't stop it, you know, and then it was uh, just trying to get it all on paper. So that's why it may seem quick to other people, but it was, there was a sense of urgency. And mainly my objective is to alert others to be more prudent when hiring doctors, therapists, counselors, anyone, there's a differential of power. Make sure that, you know, when you're hiring them, you in charge. You're hiring them for a service. I didn't understand that. And so I have the right to interview them and make sure they don't have biases or agendas or, you know, just to make sure that they have my best interest at heart. And I knew nothing about that. And so I'm hoping my book will help 
either if someone's in it right now or maybe per, even prevent it from happening. That's what my objective has been. Yeah. And that's so in alignment with um, what's in your bio that that's your desire to be part of the movement that is dedicated to helping bring forth change to the way our world views the needs Mm -hmm. and support of adopted individuals. Is there anything else you want to say about the things that I guess any listener, especially an adoptee, should be like a list? Is there like a list that you can share to be on on the lookout for or on guard for. And let me just say real quick, when I heard, and this was just last year, that you that you could actually have a consultation with a therapist for, you know, 30 minutes or whatever, I never knew that. So I know you, you just mentioned that. So is there anything mm-hmm. else that maybe a listener does not know when it comes to interviewing a therapist? Well, well there's there are quite a few things, and no one has to go through the extent of, a, a cult-like experience that I went through. But, you know, even on a spectrum, you can have someone or a therapist that is getting a little too much of their own needs met mm. rather than focusing on the client. Um, I went to my therapist to figure out my adoption angst and to help me with marital problems and infertility. And she solved none of those things, made them incredibly worse, and then added on even more trauma that I had to um, unravel decades later. And here I am really only healthy for the past seven years. And that's just through a lot of hard work and through some very, very great therapists that I do have now. And when I look for a therapist now, I, I I ask them questions. What do you do for your own therapy? Do you have your own therapist? What are your biases? What does adoption mean to you? Even if they're adoptee competent, What does that mean to them? Make sure it lines up with your idea of what you're looking for. That's Um, good. Yeah. Yeah, And of course you have to have good rapport. That's always important. And that they don't take too much of the hour talking about themselves. That's a red flag right there. Yeah. I I really picked up on that when you said getting their needs met. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. I like that. Is there anything else you want to say regarding the book? You know, I have it in the show notes, and I certainly recommend everybody get a copy <laughs> and read it. It's so informative, and it's also this roller coaster. Like, I couldn't put it down. Oh, that's good to hear because I was, when I was writing it, I felt like I was writing a psychological thriller because <laughs> <laughs> it made my heart beat. Yeah. And it's it's very accurate. I have to say it's very, I did not go off script or get too creative on any one issues because you always have to think about your reader, right? We want to say our truth. We want to say how it happened, but at the same time, you have to think about your reader and how will they get the most out of your story as possible. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of the music again, because when we put music or landmarks or global events in our stories, it helps a reader say, well, it puts them in their own story immediately and they start being, they start relating to your story more because they see themselves in your story. Yes. And I think that's a, a, a recipe for success when you take the me out of memoir. I heard that from Sarah Easterly <laughs> recently too. And it's so accurate because you don't want to just speak to yourself. You want to make it an inclusive story and, and draw everyone in that they can relate to it. 
I so agree with that. I never heard it. I never heard take the me out of memoir. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. That's so smart. <laughs> I, I never heard that. I spent so much time with Sarah. I, I must have missed that one. But did you I hear just heard that it yesterday? So it's hot off the press. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it, was that a part of the writers on the page that Sarah yes. facilitates? Uh, of her um, Adoptee Voices Writers page, one of her groups, and I've been involved in the past year, and it's just been great to compare notes with all different kinds of writers and helping us think about how to market our books, how to write our books, how to use social media, so on and so forth. It's very beneficial. I'm so glad she started that group. I've heard only good things about it. Yes, I've really enjoyed it. I've gone through two sessions now and even thinking about I might go for a third. (laughs) Oh, she'd be happy to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that, too. I think the the reader, you want them to be able to see themselves in the story. And even like doing this podcast, I've had listeners say that, too, and particularly non-adoptees. You know, they start to look at their own story, you know, whether Mm -hmm. they had step-parents or step-siblings or were not spending, even like not spending as much time with their mother, more so with their grandmother. And I'm talking biologically related. Through our stories, sharing them, they're seeing themselves in their own stories. So I think that is pretty important. So you said seven years healthy, you'd say. Well, what are the main tools that you've used? Why I landmarked that seven years yes, ago? Yes, yes. Uh, well, it's definitely my sobriety from alcohol and really emotional maturity because until I got sober, I was not able to work on myself and be self-reflective to see what my core issues were. And so I really got to work seven years ago and slowly and surely as I researched and I asked for help and I joined groups and I started writing, it just all started to snowball in this momentum of clarity and answered all kinds of questions that I had about, you know, just our human existence of why am I here? Who am I? What do I think adoption is? What, who do I think God is? And it just really has been an evolution ever since. Mm. It's been very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can hear it. I can feel it in, in your energy. And I know you applied the 12-step program to your adoption experience. Were you able to do, do that with the traumatic therapy incident? I think, yeah, I think I like to make a practice of no matter how big or small an issue is, I think you can't deny that the 12 steps are effective and that they're, they work. Now, I'm not a big proponent for, you know, joining the AA groups or, uh, and the reason I say that is because fe- people are infallible, but the principles are factual and they work. And you can put your faith in that. Never put people on a pedestal. Because if you go to AA and then all you do is live AA day in and day out as a way to stay out of real life, then you're kind of in a cultic situation again. (laughs) So I learned to look at the 12 steps as a method to do a self-analysis of everything in my life. And I use the principles, but not really relying on people and putting them on pedestals. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What would you say is the most rewarding thing about your latest book? 
Well, I think that never before adoptees have not had this opportunity to speak our stories. I mean, look at you. You've got a podcast. You're on the airwaves. You've written a book. You're, you're just able to affect so many more people because of the technology we have these days. Did you ever think that you would have that opportunity as a young child or a teenager? It just has never been possible before. Right. So I just really enjoy that I found my community and I get to talk with them and be part of the change. I love being involved in being part of the change. And I feel like I'm doing my part of it. I'm always wanting to do more. So I think my biggest, uh, I think I've, I've achieved everything I set out to do about writing both books. And I don't want to be a bestseller. <laughs> I had a writer friend just recently say, well, but how many books have you really sold? And I had to say, that's not my objective. If I get to change one person's opinion or help them in their situation and get them to think about things they've never thought about before, then I've achieved what I uh, you know, set out to do. Same here. I got asked that question once mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is there some kind of chart where I can go look at that? <laughs> I don't have, a, I really don't know. Like, and I, I remember thinking, that's important to them. But like you, it wasn't important to me because mm-hmm. I've gotten calls. I've gotten emails since the publication of my book and I'm connected yeah. in ways and fellowshipping in ways that I don't even know would have been possible if I hadn't written the book or published it. Yes. All the connections you've made. Huh? Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's not about the quantity. It's mm-hmm. really about what quality comes out of the fact that I did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let alone your own healing. Let alone, right? Being on, yeah. on the, we've, yeah, we've talked about that. Being on the other side of writing mm-hmm. and publishing is just a whole nother world. Because there's the confidence, there's the building emotional muscles mm-hmm. that come along with doing something like that. Because it's not easy. Anybody that's no. written and published, it's not easy at all. But it's worth it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I do think you have to have a certain amount of doing your interior work first before you write a book that that people will read and and you'll you'll take them somewhere. It does require that you have a certain amount of uh, you're on your journey, you're on your path to be able to write your story the most effective way you can. That's that's true. Which leads me to my next question, and and that's what words of encouragement do you have for adoptees wanting to write their memoir or fiction and become a published author? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, it makes me think of the book by Anne Lamott, who we all love. She's an American author, and what she says, well, she's written a book, How to Write a Memoir, and it's called Bird by Bird. And it is just fabulous. And it says, one of her main things is saying, don't be afraid to write a first draft that's lousy, a lousy first draft. I think that's so important because once you have the ink on the paper or even on your you know, computer, you've got words typed. That's a starting point. But if you just have a blank page, then it's going to be hard for you to get started. So don't be afraid. It's, it's going to be lousy. But you can have a, a place to go from there. 
that was really important to me when I read her book, Bird to Bird. And if you want, she's on Audible and she she's the narrator and it's just so effective. And it really is a story like way that she tells you how to write your memoir. Yeah. I'll have to put that in the show notes. Yeah. I know one of the questions that recently came up and it's come up before from adoptees is what if you don't want to use your real name? And and I think of you because I, I think it's important that adoptees feel comfortable enough to share their stories, to get it out in, in public without all the um, aftermath that can come when we don't use a pseudonym. Right. Yeah. I do come clean and say in the second book that I do use a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. And I do that for a number of reasons to protect my family who could probably never accept my truth, but I needed to be able uh, to voice it. And then I've changed names of other people in the book because they may have their own story to tell, but I also get to tell mine. And so there are ways that you can go ahead and write your book now and not wait for, I'm sorry to say, people to pass away. I guess you could do that, but I think you're pushing out your chances of ever actually writing your story if you kept saying if you keep saying I'll do that next year, I'll do that in 5 years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think you got to seize the momentum and if you want to write it, you need to sit down and write it right now. Yes, I'm glad glad you shared that and I'm going to add that, you know, I know my name given upon birth and I have been quick to say there's nothing wrong with me writing in that name you know like I in fact I look forward to it Bonnie Upshaw is the name that I plan Mm -hmm. to use and I think that it it's kind of um like it's our choice and we have agency we can we can take agency of how we're going to show up like I I think it's Mm -hmm. it's so freeing to do it the way that best suits you and that we're well within our right And this is the point I want to make to any listener that's thinking, like, how do I do that? Is it being authentic? I think it's absolutely authentic and that we can choose names. We can change our names. I know plenty of adoptees that have changed their names. They picked a name that they liked and have anything to do with their birth certificate or the name Mm -hmm. their adopters gave them. And there's not there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I just wanted to say that. I agree. Totally. (laughs) Obviously. Right. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You and I are looking forward to an upcoming summit, Untangling Our Roots in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's going to be it's going to happen before this airs. But I still want to know, what are your thoughts? Are you as excited as I am to meet so many adoptees that we've gotten to know online and And on the phone, yeah, like what are your thoughts? What's coming up for you about it? Um, Really trying to contain my (laughs) excitement and just looking forward to, you know, the connection, the collaboration, the healing and the learning and the education and just seeing these people, like you said, that we've talked to and like you, I'm going to be that crazy person that goes running up to you saying, Jennifer, Jennifer. (laughs) And thank goodness it's not COVID anymore, so we can hug each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just going to be, I think I better start making a list of people's names because I'll probably lose all their names and then stand there 
with a blank face. And <laughs> I have made my list. I I I have at least a dozen, which um, I I was just like blown away by that. And I just imagine this event being electric. That's the word that comes to mind in a yeah. good way. Like just so. Yeah, like it's going to be supercharged. Yeah, super <laughs> supercharged because mm-hmm. when I think of you and Lorraine and they're just like I said, I got about a dozen names listed of people mm-hmm. that I have talked to and seen in those little square boxes on Zoom for over a year. Like I just feel like I know you all. I well, I do know you all, but to see you in person, like in the flesh, just feels like it's just going to be something I've never come close to experiencing because I have gone to many conferences over the years, over the last 10 years. For the first time, I meet them at the conference. Mm-hmm. I haven't, we weren't, I wasn't even doing Zoom before 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these virtual spaces, getting to know people and then finally getting to to meet them is going to be yeah totally new experience for me it'll be so surreal you know and i'll feel a little bit like going to hollywood and seeing all my favorite <laughs> actors and actresses <laughs> i feel that too yeah i told you when as soon as i get there that thursday i'm going to text you and let you know that i'm there and I oh, hope if yes. you beat me there, do the same so that I, yes, yeah, I really that'd want. That'd be great. I would really like to meet you, like, at the very beginning. <laughs> I agree. Thank you so much for saying that. We'll make that happen. Yeah. Will you be there the entire time? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. The numbers are still going up with people attending. And I just want to say, if you're not as a listener, you weren't aware of it or you weren't able to go, just keep an eye out for in-person conferences or retreats. I know from experience, they can be life-changing. And and I tell you, when I know people in the community, like now 11 years or more that I met at a conference, like I'm not kidding. And, and it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So these are like, I feel like lifelong relationships that are often formed when you do go to these kinds of events. And, and so I just want to throw that out there for the listener. The more the merrier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? Um, I guess I'm pretty excited about having just finished recording of uh, A Fire is Coming for Audible. So the audio book is coming out if it's not the end of this week, it's going to be next week. So I'm really, really excited. That was a labor of love. I tell you what, writing your story is therapeutic, but when you speak it into a microphone, I think you can relate since you use mics so often and you hear your voice so often. But when you speak your story, it's just a whole nother level of healing and feeling like you're going to reach more people uh, to hear your story. Yeah, it's, which is why I'm always telling you you need to get in there and do your book well, you, for Audible. <laughs> you you really are encouraging me, and I recently was told by another adoptee that recorded her memoir, the audio version, that I could do it at home. See, I was thinking I had to go to a studio, but now that I know I can can actually do it in the setup I have for the podcast, I'm I'm getting closer. 
Emma, I'm Good. getting closer yeah. to doing that. And and you're absolutely right. It's a whole different vibe mm-hmm. reading because right now I have a book I checked out of the library. I also have the audio version and hearing the author read. Yeah, it's, it's two different types of experiences, I would say, because I love to read the words on a page, but mm-hmm. it is very special to hear the author read their words, too. Did you want to read any words for us today from your book? I try to think of my audience wanting to, to hear that. I think that that's a real treat. Chapter 11, Thanksgiving Dinner, November 23rd, 1993, journal entry. I'm so confused. I feel paralyzed in my own life. This whole thing seems way more complicated than I'm able to cope with. I love her, and I have feelings of not being able to go on without her. Petrified, I may lose her. But at the same time, I feel dominated by her. She calls me at work all the time now. I try to explain that I have a very fast-paced job or have little downtime to talk with her on the phone. This seems to make her mad, and she insists how much more important her job is than mine. Perfect. (laughs) Well, if you don't have anything else, I just want to kind of end with the review on the back of your book by Anne Heffron, the author of You Don't Look Adopted and Writing Coach. She writes, Emma Stevens shows us what it means to be a brave human, a bold writer, and a human being who not only faced fire, but walked through it. So I really hope listeners get a copy. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, for That's Amazon, right? Yes, yeah. Amazon. Okay. Well, very good. I'm just so glad we were able to have this conversation. Thank you so much for coming back. And you can come back again maybe after we do the summit, the conference in Louisville. We'll have a whole lot to talk about on here. Oh, oh won't we, though? <laughs> hey, what stays, what happens in Louisville stays in Louisville. <laughs> well, thank you, Emma. Thank you again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Emma was caught in a fire that led to another one, and once she knew that something needed to be done, another fire started to ignite in her. I wholeheartedly endorse A Fire is Coming, because the story is worth knowing on so many levels. Getting to know Emma better, what can happen if you don't know the red flags when choosing a good therapist, how to take agency in your life to turn things around in your favor, and so much more. Cults are a real thing that can lure you into their web. You don't even recognize in real time that it's happening to you. Emma is transparent in her book for the sole purposes of healing herself and helping someone else. If all goes as planned, when this episode airs, Emma and I would have met in person for the first time at the Untangling Our Roots Summit. I'll be back at home from Louisville, Kentucky, reflecting on my time there. I look forward to sharing parts of that experience here on my podcast for those who were unable to attend this year. Thank you, Emma, for being a returning guest with another outstanding book. 
and among the most supportive adoptees of all the people that I know. I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me. You are one of my greatest sources of encouragement at every turn, and I hope I do the same for you. Each and every time you mention to me, you got to do an audio for your memoir. I'm that much closer to getting or done. It's people like you within the adoption community who help others like me to believe in themselves that much more. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.